Welcome to Inside the War Room. Ryan Ray here hanging out as always. Stephen Mosier is our guest today. But first, let's talk about our sponsor, which is our new newsletter. That's right, a newsletter. Everyone's got one. Why not have one? But it is going to do a couple things. One is going to be about new podcast release. Two, it's also going to cover other things throughout the week. I've got all kinds of stuff that I've learned from guests that I want to unpack somewhere. This newsletter will encompass that. Uh, and three, it's going to be a good spot for you to dialogue with me in this podcast. Right here is a great example we have on uh, Stephen Mosier, who is coming on to talk about something controversial. His book is The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. You're going to hear his argument. I'm curious what you guys think. Is he too strong? Is he right on the money? Uh, we created this podcast to have interesting conversations, and we're going to do that more and more as we go along. Oh, by the way, we might bring back the live function which is all the reason more to have a newsletter to let you guys know when those things might be happening. Okay, without further ado, uh, let's get to Stephen and be sure to check out all the stuff that he's got published in the show notes at RyanRaySenior.com. Well, Stephen, it is lovely to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Okay, so Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. I know of, I have Bob Murphy's actually right here, lucky enough. Um his politically incorrect guide to the Great Depression and the New Deal. So when I saw this title, I wondered: is it in that? Is that is that a series? Is this a, a, a genre of books? Is there any connection here? Well, it's a whole series of books: the politically incorrect guide to everything under the sun. It's been put out by Regnery for the last oh, probably the better part of ten years now, and I'm very honored to have my book, the politically incorrect guide to pandemics, be a part of this series. Uh, the other authors have made a great contribution to the truth, and in and, and no place and nowhere uh, is it more important to understand the truth about what happened uh, in human history than, than trying to understand the last two and a half years, because we've been told a whole series of lies about the coronavirus, about where it came from, about how to respond to it, and so forth. And the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, which we fondly refer to as PIG Guide to Pandemic, Politically Incorrect Guides, acronym is PIG. Uh, pig to pandemics is, is a, I think, a real contribution to our understanding. Okay. So you say that we've been lied to or misled or not really sure. What, 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 what have we been lied to but the past few years? Well, where do I start? I mean, first of all, uh, <laughs> the Chinese Communist Party uh, was doing bioweapons research in the Wuhan lab. And this, this virus came out of the Wuhan lab. I believe it, it escaped from the lab during vaccine trials. So you say escaped, uh, it's really not accurate to say it escaped because they had the virus and they were working on a vaccine. And so during vaccine trials where they were vaccinating a lot of people, uh, some people got the actual disease. And of course it's highly infectious because it was engineered to be highly infectious. So you can say escape if you want, but, but I say it's, it's kind of a, a semi-deliberate release because they were trying to do a creative vaccine. To do what? To vaccinate their own people, the members of the People's Liberation Army and the members of the Chinese Communist Party and other essential workers in China. They wanted to vaccinate people to protect them against coronavirus before they released it upon the world. And we actually have a speech back in 2017, secret speech at the time, which was later released by the major general in charge of China's bioweapons program. This is Major General Chun, Major General Chun Wei, who said in 2017, explaining the bioweapons program using coronaviruses, she said, first, you need the spear before you can develop the shield. Well, the spear, the bioweapon, 
the spear is the coronavirus. The shield is the vaccine. So guess what? They had the spear. They were working on the shield. It got out of the lab. And then what? They deliberately spread it around the world. So uh, I said this back in February of 2020. What happened to me, do you think? I got canceled on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. But it was clear to me as a China hand of longstanding, I was the first American uh, allowed into China, first American social scientist allowed into China back in 1979. I was there uh, two and a half months after we normalized diplomatic relations. I've lived in Asia for 10 years. I read, write, and speak Chinese. It was clear to me from the outset that this came from the lab, that this was engineered, and it was deliberately released upon the world. Why? Because this is the Chinese Communist Party we're talking about. Chinese Communist Party is the biggest killing machine on the planet. Okay, so you, you covered a lot of ground there. And for listeners, we'll link to in the show notes, we've had on um, two episodes, at least dedicated to um, COVID-19 that I can think of. We've had on uh, Dr. Peter McAuliffe, and we had on Gregory Zuckerman. So those are kind of two different points of view on the vaccine. So we'll link to those in the show notes. Um, okay, so let me, let me push back here because my frustration with the pandemic from the beginning was there was an overreaction to how the world by and large, um, talked about the deadliness of the virus, um, the potential threat it posed, um, and who was actually in danger of it. So if the CCP was going to release a virus, why would they not release something more more potent than COVID-19? Because at the end of the day, it, it does it is deadly to a certain uh, portion of the population, but it's not like a, you know, it's not like the Black Death. Well, that, that's a very interesting question. And it gets us into the question of what kind of bioweapons would be most effective, right? Do you want to release anthrax on a city and kill half the population? Uh, or do you want to release uh, an unrestricted, what, what I call an unrestricted bioweapon that has is highly infectious, has low lethality, but will cause tremendous, not just deaths and, and disease, but will cause tremendous economic dislocation. Which one is more plausibly deniable? Well, if you release anthrax or smallpox, obviously it's gonna be traced back to the source very quickly. This is an unrestricted bioweapon, highly infectious, but not very lethal. And China is still today denying that it's the source of the coronavirus. They actually blame us. They blame the Fort Detrick Labs in, in Maryland uh, for creating the bioweapon and for releasing it on China. So they're still in what a what a unrestricted bioweapon does is it gives you plausible deniability. And, you know, we talk about it not being very lethal, still did kill millions of people around the world, still did cause tens of trillions of dollars of economic damage and still left China in a more powerful position and the West and the United States in a weaker position than we were before. So I think uh, it's the most successful uh, weapon in human history myself. Well, there's no doubt the, um, it's obviously, it, it did kill a bunch of people. So I don't want to come off as, as denying that. I'm saying that, um, you know, the, 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 how the media covered it um, and, and who was most prone to attack was, was a bit frustrating. Um, you, you do mention, you mentioned there that, you know, the economic shifts of power and, and stuff like that. Um, and China has come out a, a winner. And I get torn of that because if you look at the price of like oil right now, it's over $100 a barrel. Their, their economy just cannot sustain that for long periods of time. So they might have won the short run, but how are they going to overcome some of these economic challenges? Because um, it would seem like that might backfire, even if it was planned out. I'm not disputing whether or not it was planned out. I'm saying like, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily convinced that 
um, with the hundred R plus oil that they, that they are a winner. Yeah, uh, you know, in the long term, communist states where you have central planners trying to dictate where people live and what they produce and and what direction the economy should go have huge handicaps, and I think they destroy themselves in the end. But temporarily, I think this has put China in a in a stronger position. And remember, China isn't going along with the uh, the Green New Deal. China's not going along with the Great Reset. China's not going along with the idea that uh, that you should stop building coal-fired power plants. They're opening a coal-fired power plant every two weeks in China. So China's still using traditional energy that we dig out of the ground or pump out of the ground. And that gives him a tremendous advantage over people who are trying to rely on uh, solar panels and windmills uh, who have to pray for the wind to keep blowing. So, um, so China's economy, uh, I think, came out of this stronger than the US. But, but you know, to your other point, why we followed China into lockdowns and masking and social distancing, why we took the template for how to deal with coronavirus from the Chinese Communist Party, which does not wish us well, is beyond me because all of that, all the public health measures that were taken in response to the pandemic uh, were copied from China. And uh, seems to me that's, that's the wrong model to follow here. One thing we did learn, um, maybe the average American learned or should have learned, was organizations like the World Health Organization are not these altruistic organizations that have no political biases. Um, they are very much pushed and nudged and, um, and shifted by these large states like the United States or like China or whoever it might be. Um, what should we draw from that? Well, we should understand that the Chinese Communist Party for the last few decades, since joining uh, the United Nations in 1972, since joining the World Health Organization a couple of years after that, has made enormous efforts and spent a lot of money to try to capture these international organizations and use them for its own purposes. And quite frankly, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus from the country of Ethiopia, uh, who's not a medical doctor, by the way, uh, is a proxy for China. He was supported by China for the head of the World Health Organization uh, in 2017. And when he went, remember, when he went to when he went to Beijing to meet with China's dictator, Xi Jinping, president for life, Xi Jinping, head of the Chinese Communist Party and military, Xi Jinping. When he met with Xi, Dr. Tedros came out of the meeting smiling, saying, oh, China has the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic well under control. That was a lie. Uh, China has uh, assured us there's no human to human transmission. That was another lie. Uh, China has ensured, assured us that uh, it wasn't the source of the coronavirus. Uh, that was a lie as well. So Tedros Cabrisis is working not just not, not for the health of the people of the world. He's working for the health of the Chinese Communist Party in China. And let me add to that, that um, the Chinese Communist Party has a long history of releasing pandemics on the world. And very briefly, 1958, we had something called the Asian flu, killed a million people around the world. In today's pop, with today's population numbers, that would be equivalent to about 3 million deaths. It didn't come from some unknown country in Asia. It came from China. But China hid it when it broke out in Guizhou province in the southwest of China. They hid it for months and months and months until it spread to Singapore and Hong Kong and other countries around the world. And finally, a couple of years later, they admitted Oh, by the way, uh, that dangerous virus that ca came from China, but they hid it for a long time. 
They doctored the data. They misled the World Health Organization, misled the World Health Authorities. Did the same thing in 67, 68 with the Hong Kong flu. Didn't come from Hong Kong, came from China, but they lied about it. People of Hong Kong were furious about the fact that they, they knew there was an epidemic underway in, in mainland China and China covered it up, Communist Party covered it up. Then we go to SARS and SARS-1 in 2002, a snake handler, a snake seller in Guangdong province in the south of China uh, got a dangerous snake coronavirus, died from it. Thousands of people in China died from it. It was highly uh, lethal. 11% of the people who got it died. What did the Chinese Communist Party do? They lied about uh, the pandemic. They covered it up. They silenced whistleblowers. They uh, doctored the data, making it appear less lethal said it, it wasn't uh, as dangerous as it turned out to be. They misled the World Health Organization. It was only uh, Canadian intelligence services that months after the outbreak in China picked up the fact that there was a dangerous uh, epidemic spreading in China. And finally, China admitted, yeah, that's what's going on. That's the same playbook that they followed in 2019. We should have been ready for this thing. We should have been anticipating another epidemic from China, which is under the Communist Party, the great breeding ground of pandemics. We should have anticipated that they would lie about the origins, that they would doctor the data, that they would silence whistleblowers, that they would mislead the World Health Organization. That's all they did. And, and the only thing different about the coronavirus uh, in 2019, 2020, was it was created, it was engineered in, in the lab. So when you say we should be prepared, what does that mean? Well, it means that we should understand that, that nothing good comes out of uh, China. We should understand that China has uh, bioweapons labs, which are even now uh, developing new bioweapons. And I think that they've been nothing if not encouraged by the damage that they've caused to the world's economy. And uh, I mean, look, they got uh, Joe Biden as president of the United States because of the coronavirus. Uh, Joe Biden is getting ready to undo the tariffs that were imposed by the Trump administration on China. That's a win for China. Uh, Joe Biden is not talking about the fentanyl coming across the southern border in, in, in the Chinese Communist Party's uh, third opium war against American young people that kills almost 100,000 a year. He's not talking about China at all uh, as the danger that it, that it really is. So uh, in, in many respects, not just in terms of health or upsetting the U.S. economy, uh, this has been a win, a win-win for the Chinese Communist Party. And why wouldn't they do it again? I'm afraid that lurking in a test tube somewhere, perhaps in the Wuhan Institute of Virology itself, is another coronavirus, uh, different enough so we don't have any natural or acquired immunity to it, that will be released at the appropriate time, perhaps uh, a year before the next presidential election. Who knows? We just have to be ready uh, this time because there's a history, 58, 68. 2002, 2003, 2019, uh, how many episodes does it take for us to wake up and understand that uh, China is the breeding ground of pandemics? Okay, but, but are you calling for, what kind of measures are you calling for? Because the, the, the issue that I get into with the China stuff is, um, you know, as, as a very much a free market person, it seems like either the right or the left, the measures that they take are very much going to lead down the path that what we saw in 2020, which is forced lockdowns. Uh, the, you know, we talk about the tariffs if we want to. All of those things are, are, are not, from a free market standpoint, free market measures. Now, I'm not saying China's a free market, of course, um, but I do get concerned when we say, "Hey, we got to take measures to prevent them." Like, are we going to? Are you advocating that, that Americans cede rights to prevent a potential another COVID outbreak? 
Well, I think we have to be be uh, uh, first. The first thing we have to do, look, is is stop funding China's labs. All right. We poured millions and millions of dollars into the Wuhan Institute of Technology, uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology and, and other labs in China doing so-called noble scientific research. Well, if Fauci may have been may have been thinking about doing noble scientific research to prevent the next pandemic. But as soon as the PLA bioweapons program saw that we were teaching them to enhance the infectiousness and the lethality of, of dangerous viruses, uh, they thought immediately thought bioweapon. They've been writing about it in their strategic liter literature, which I can read. And they've been doing e uh, experiments in the lab for the last 10 years. There's a whole uh, paper trail of, of studies that have been done, funded by the United States government, in this massive Fauci blunder, uh, helping China to get to the point where it is today. So let's stop funding their research. Uh, let's go back and figure out where they might be uh, in terms of uh, infectious uh, coronaviruses that they talk openly about weaponizing in their, their literature. And, uh, and let's be aware, uh, let's do the same thing that Taiwan did. You know, Taiwan uh, has very good intelligence on the ground in China. And as soon as they got word that a dangerous uh, epidemic was brewing in Wuhan, they immediately stopped the flights, uh, put a travel ban. They started testing everybody from China and they didn't come up with any positive results for any of the 19 viruses they tested for. And so they said, aha, this is something new. This is something we haven't seen before. And they completely shut down uh, cross straits traffic. That's what we've got to do. We've got to react quickly and, and decisively. And we don't want to overreact. We don't want to follow China down into the, the mode of lockdowns. We need, we need to rely on therapeutic drugs, quite frankly, uh, instead of experimental gene therapy that uh, the long-term consequences of, of which we, we're still finding out. So uh, I think there are lots of things we can do. We need to also uh, relocate our supply chains elsewhere. Japan is doing that very successfully. Uh, Japan is actually paying Japanese companies to leave China. They don't have to come back to Japan, but they can go to Vietnam, they can go to India, they can go to the Philippines, they can go to countries uh, that by and large uh, share our values and institutions. They can come back. In the case of the United States, we can bring factories and, and work back to the US. Uh, it is impossible for free labor to compete with, compete with slave labor uh, in China, and China's labor is essentially slave labor. You know how they kept the factories running uh, in key areas? Uh, during the pandemic in China, they locked the workers in the factories. Uh, that shows you more than anything else that the workers aren't free to come and go as they, they please. Locked them in the factories and fed them on the factory floor, had them sleep on the factory floor and work long shifts. So how can free labor, how can free workers compete with that uh, sort of managed labor force? So uh, I'm, I'm a free market guy too, right? Let's, 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 let's applaud the wonders of the free market, but let's understand at the same time that China, China has a very, very controlled labor market and actually has literally, literally has slave labor in China where they're forcing minorities like the Uyghurs uh, to be bought and sold in China uh, and locked up in factories where they work to death. Yeah, we have an episode on the war on the Uyghurs. We'll link to that in the show notes, episode 18, 19, something like that. Um, Okay, yeah. So agreed, we should no longer, we should be funding any of these global viral, viral, viral I can't say the word, these global <laughs> virus breeding labs. It makes no sense to me. Um, virology labs, I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to agree there. Uh, um, I do think one of the things you touched on, and one of the frustrations that I had 
um, with the, the Trump administration during the time was, um, and this goes to some U.S. problems that we need to clean up, is that we can't trust our own intelligence agencies, right? Um, it would have been interesting to hear what our intelligence agencies were thinking, you know, in December, January, February, uh, of what was going on in China um, or around the world, because, you know, we were on a, on, a, on a different podcast to host. We were following the story in Wuhan because it was starting to have impact on oil prices. And so we we're kind of following the, the demand and what was going on with that. Um, so if we're following it on some random podcast in the U.S., then obviously our intelligence has something. Um, to me, it seems that that's a great failure of the United States is that we don't have our intelligence agencies aren't very adequate at reporting on stuff. If they are, they're getting bad information. Um, and so I don't know how Taiwan is handling it, but, but at least in the U.S., it seems that uh, our intelligence agencies are basically useless for something like this. Well, I mean, uh, everybody knows that our intelligence ag agencies have been highly politicized since the days of uh, Obama and Biden uh, and that earlier presidency. Um, and I, I do think, however, that uh, David Asher over at the State Department on the instructions of Mike Pompeo uh, looked into the origins of the coronavirus early and had concluded uh, by January of 2021 that it came from the Wuhan lab and it was probably a bioweapon. What happened when the Biden administration took power? They immediately shut down. They immediately shut down that investigation. And six months later, when it became public news, when it finally reached the public ears that they had shut down the investigation, they hurriedly launched another one, which predictably came back a few days later saying, well, we really don't know where the virus came from because they didn't want to assign responsibility to China because if they did, they would be required to actually take action against China. And that's the last thing they want to do. So they covered it up. So I don't know how badly or well the intelligence agencies themselves performed, but this overlay of political interference in intelligence is absolutely deadly to getting at the truth. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, created in the lab using US technology and US funding. It was released during vaccine trials and it was deliberately released on the world. Uh, that's the big story. And why there aren't demands for reparations, you know, trillions of dollars in reparations from China, why everybody who suffered the loss of a business or the suffered the loss of a loved one or became ill with coronavirus isn't due some kind of reparations from the Chinese Communist Party. We should be calling for that. And yet all you get from Washington DC these days is crickets. They're, they're going to allow China to do it again unless we demand accountability. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that I wonder about is um, you talk about DC, Fauci, you know, the, the, the long-term bureaucrats that are there, but also you have large, you know, corporations who have deep ties to China and they got in back when, you know, the, it was a gravy train. And now you, you see like with Hollywood, especially, you know, now they're kind of, under the thumb of, of China and have been for some time. So is it something that policymakers can actually make substantive changes to, or do we have to put pressure on uh, these large companies who are you know, using Uyghur labor or you know, really dependent on a Chinese market? Well, I think we can successfully put pressure on them. Nike was using Uyghur labor through a subcontractor in the Northern uh, Chinese province of Shandong. They've stopped doing that. Uh, once attention was called to it. So you can embarrass these woke companies into, into not using uh, slave labor uh, in China. You can, you can make advances in that regard. But I think uh, Fortune 500 companies who went into China uh, back in the 80s and 90s, when I was first involved in China and, and following events there, as I continue to do, have realized 
that China's playbook, the playbook of the Chinese Communist Party is to invite uh, a Fortune 500 company in to make widgets under very favorable terms. And once they get the, the investment from the Fortune 500 company, the Fortune 500 company uh, realizes that it's very hard to repatriate profits. <laughs> the, the money has to stay in China. Secondly, they realize soon that their technology has been stolen and that Chinese companies supported by the Chinese Communist Party have the, uh, the higher ground and are out competing them, not just in China, but around the world. And they become hostage, thirdly, to the Chinese Communist Party, and which demands as a condition of doing business in China uh, that they follow, that they influence U.S. policy towards China. And I think Fortune 500 companies like Hollywood, which you pointed out, have begun to wake up to the fact that China is not a good, as good a deal as they thought going in. They squeeze you, drive your technology, and then squeeze you back out of China. And so everybody, I think all the Western companies are seeing their market share in China shrink over time. Uh, they ought to see where that is going and, uh, and relocate to, to more favorable countries. Okay, what would you say to someone listening right now going, okay, are you calling for war? Are you saying that we should have like a extremely negative view on China? How do we balance that with, you know, Chinese nationals in our, in our midst that are just average citizens over in the U S how do we work through those things? Well, I think we all have to understand the Chinese communist party is the, uh, is, uh, uh, the biggest victims of the Chinese communist party are the Chinese people themselves. Uh, since the, the Chinese communist party was formed in 1921, uh, using fairly conservative estimates. Uh, there have been 100, China, 100 million Chinese who've lost their lives during the Civil War, during the land reform, uh, during the anti-rightist campaigns, during the Cultural Revolution, during the famine after the Great Leap Forward, the persecution of the Uyghurs, the persecution of the Falun Gong, the persecution of Christians, people of all religious faiths. Uh, the the uh, political campaigns continue, the death toll continues to rise. So the first and foremost victims of the Chinese Communist Party are the Chinese people themselves, number one. Number two, um, you know, I, I, I'm the last person to want war with China, but I'm the first person to say that China is already at war with us, a self-declared war. Uh, back in 1991, following the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, Deng Xiaoping, who was then China's senior leader, called together the Politburo of the Chinese Communist Party after the collapse of the Soviet Union and said, the old Cold War is over. The United States has won. The Soviet Union has been defeated. The new Cold War is now beginning between the United States and China, and China is going to win. So China has been at war with us across all domains, except the kinetic, for the last 30 years. And we pretended that isn't so. But look at, we talked about fentanyl, look at the release of the coronavirus, look at the cheating on trade, the cheating on currency. Uh, all uh, Across all domains, we see China's aggressiveness economic, political. Um, and, and so we have to understand that, you know, if, if, if your enemy is at war with you, you're probably at war, whether you want to be or not. Okay. Um, give me one, maybe final thoughts on this pandemic that uh, going through the research in the book that maybe you, you, you didn't realize that you learned um, something that, that, that kind of stuck out to you uh, going through that process. Sure. Uh, I would say this, the pandemic is over. Uh, you don't listen to Dr. Anthony Fauci, who apparently wants it to continue uh, into the next century. I say it's over because I, I look to the example of the Spanish flu back in 1918, 1919, uh, killed 40, 50 million people around the world. It didn't come from Spain, by the way, it came from China. It was brought over by laborers 
who were brought in 100,000 laborers from China, North China, brought in to dig trenches during the trench warfare of World War I. We know that now. So it came from China, uh, the great breeding ground of pandemics. And, and, and we are still living with the variants from the Spanish flu. So uh, it is often said in virology that the Spanish flu is the mother of all pandemics and epidemics. And it is. The seasonal flu that we face today consists largely of descendants, variants of the Spanish flu. And yet it doesn't kill 40 or 50 million of us anymore. Why? Because the variants have become less, less deadly over time. It's a very foolish virus that kills its host too quickly before it has a chance to spread. So that's what's happening to the coronavirus. We're going to see lots of variants. It's going to become part of the seasonal flu, and we've got to stop panicking over it. Okay. And where can people find the book? Where do you want to send them to? Um, well, there, there, website? There, there, there are two places for the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Of course, uh, uh, Amazon. Uh, also, they could come to our website, pop.org, pop, P-O-P.org, short for Population Research Institute, which I'm the president of. And if they order it from us, I can autograph it before I send it out. So there you go. Okay. We'll link to pop.org. I have it pulled up right here with your interview with Tucker Carlson. We'll link to the book. It comes out on, I had this pulled up here. It comes out on the 26th. This podcast will be out by then, but you can, so you can pre-order it on Amazon or your website or wherever you get good books at. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Okay. So if you made it to the end here, curious your thoughts and you can let me know ryanraysenior.com slash newsletter would love to get your opinion on this podcast right there is the spot to do it let me know and hey folks keep it cordial okay keep it cordial and with that we'll talk to you real soon